Hi everybody, welcome into the Irish NFL show. It's Sunday night. Can I just take the opportunity to wish everybody here a happy bank holiday if you're in the Republic as well, off work tomorrow, uh, unlike me. But uh, great show tonight. We've got Jeff Rainbow coming on here now. We've got Graham Gano coming up next and we're on the NFL Ireland Facebook page for the first time. So welcome if you're watching there. Jeff, welcome back to the show. Oh, it's awesome to be back. It's always good crack when I'm on with you guys. How about that? I used Irish for it. There we go. There we go. We've we've got it started now, man. It's good. What have you been doing the last couple of weeks? I mean, I know you you're back in Hawaii now. Uh, you were you you were down in Houston for a bit, yeah. I was down in Houston coaching uh, the spring league, which was a good experience, and always great to work with kids that are you know trying to get back to the National Football League. Uh, we were two and one when I left. They they lost last week. They're two and two now. It's a big week for them this week. They got to win. Uh, you know, uh, Kevin Gilbride, the old Giants offensive coordinator, he's got one of the teams, the Jousters, and they're in first place right now. So um, my team, the Generals, got to come back and, and have a good finish. But, you know, it's it's one of those things, you know, Mike, where, you know, you're down there and you're with a bunch of ex-NFL coaches, which is always fun. And then you got guys that, uh, you know, a number of our guys have been on and have been on NFL rosters and trying to work their way back to the National Football League. You know, it's it's just again, another example of why football and the NFL needs a developmental league because there are far more guys, you know, that can play in the NFL than do play in the NFL. Jeff, that talk of making one's way back to the league kind of leads me on to, to the question. I'm interested because we haven't been able to discuss it yet, but you're back with us now. Tim Tebow in Jacksonville, Tebow mania. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in your take on that because I suppose, is this, is this a great move by Urban Meyer in, in terms of kind of creating a distraction with Tebow and allowing Trevor Lawrence and that new team to kind of bet in while everyone focuses on Tebow? Or is Tebow going to be too much of a distraction trying to learn a new position and the circus that kind of follows Tim wherever he goes? I, I think Urban, you know, this is not a, you know, knee-jerk reaction thing for Urban. This is something I'm sure he's thought about since before he got the job. And, and I think that, you know, you got to recognize that those guys are very, very close. They went, you know, they had that experience at the University of Florida where, Tim was the quarterback that really put that program over the edge and became a national power, won a national championship and really catapulted urban into the stratosphere as far as coaches are concerned. So Colin, when you look at it, uh, it may seem far fetched to a lot of people, but to be very honest with you, I, I think it's a, you know, it's a no risk and high re high potential reward move by Jacksonville. He's from the Jacksonville area. It's going to create a tremendous, and you've already seen it, a tremendous amount of interest in the, in the Jaguars, a tremendous amount of interest in the community. Um, you know, there's an old saying that Al Davis used to say all the time, and it's doesn't matter what they say about you as long as they spell your name right. And, and I think that's really true when it comes to, you know, the Jags need a shot of juice. They and, and, you know, they got the Trevor Lawrence juice and they got the Urban Meyer juice. But the Tim Tebow juice is a different kind of juice now, especially when you're talking about that area in Florida. So I think it's a great move by them because, I mean, if the kid can't play, you cut him and you move on. If he can play, I mean, you get a you get a player for cheap and, and not only a player, but a guy who's a tremendous guy in the locker room. 
you know, one of the things that coaches try and do when they come into a new situation is they want their guys. They want guys who will be the voice in the locker room for them. And certainly Tim knows exactly what Urban wants. He knows exactly the way that they want to practice, how they want to perform on game day, how they want to prepare, all of those things. So he can be that, you know, um, that constant, you know, reaffirmation of what Urban Meyer is trying to build in Jacksonville in the locker room. So I think it's a good move. Jeff, uh, the coming week is, is the week in which a lot of teams have mandatory training camps. And I suppose a lot of the talk is around which players will turn up, whether they'll get fined for not showing up for the week for the week itself. But two teams have decided that they're not going to do any mandatory training camp, the Colts and the Eagles. And bear in mind, uh, Sirianni is the new coach with the Eagles. You always hear about the new coaches wanting more time with the players to adjust to what they want from going forward. Is it a surprise that they decided to not do the mandatory training camp and wait till training camp itself kicks off at the end of July? Well, it's an interesting question because, you know, if I'm Nick Sirianni, I want every chance I can to spend time with my players because we're a new staff. We're in, you know, it's a new message. It's a new organization. Um, but, you know, again, everybody, Brian has their own philosophy. I think some of this, and you watch how the saints have, um, you know, they've, they've changed their OTA set schedule their off-season training schedule um and they're not the only team in and i think that's a reaction to what you know the players association is trying to get the players to not go into quote voluntary workouts but the reality of it is if you're a fringe guy or you're a bubble guy or you're a young guy you need to be there you need every chance you can to make a positive impression and this is what i'm concerned about from the players association standpoint and it's natural because I see it in our, with our Players Association, too. The veteran guys are always trying to ensure their survival. And this can be an opportunity now for them to, to ensure their survival. Because if the rookies aren't in, if the undrafted free agents aren't in, if the guys that are, you know, maybe, uh, you know, uh, free agents that were signed in the offseason, street free agents from another team, well, those guys are, are going to miss opportunities to make that football team and to make an impression. And so I, I just really think that I don't like it. I'll be honest about it. I don't like it. I think it's I think it's selfish by the players. And I think it's already proven to have hurt some players where guys get injured working out on their own and then their insurance doesn't cover it. And, you know, you're talking about a guy losing millions of dollars because he, you know, tears an Achilles tendon working out on his own. I just really, really believe that the, they need to be in. They need to be with the strength coaches. And Coach Vermeil used to say it all the time. You build a team in the offseason. You coach a team during the season. And when he talks about building a team, it's not only acquisition of players. It's creating the culture that you want. I know for a fact when he was in Kansas City, he and his wife would personally have every player and their families to their home and for a barbecue just to spend time with them to get to know them for them to get to know coach and his wife because I, I you can't you can't underestimate how valuable that is over the course of a football season um 
Jeff, I'm amazed you started off using crack in the appropriate context. Next, we'll have to migrate you onto like how she cut them and other uh, appropriate Irishisms. We'll, we'll have you fully coached up. We'll, we'll build you up in that regard next while as well. Well, um, I tell you what, we can make it. We can make it like language ex exchange because I'll, I'll give you some pidgin Hawaiian, and you know, and we'll say, you know, the kind. Well when you use the kind that, that could mean anything. So, right. So there's your first Hawaiian lesson and I, I got cracked. And now what was the other one I get now? What's the next one? How's she cutting? How is she cutting? How's she cutting? How's how how she cutting? You got to say it with that. What's that, that mean? How, like, it just means how are you, like how are you? How are you doing? It's more of okay, a so, right, more so columns I'll, area. I'll, of I'll throw it back to you. I'll throw it back to you in Pigeon. When you see somebody and you want to ask them that same question in Hawaii, you go, how's it brother? How's it, brother? Got it. Yeah. Well, this is great. The Irish Hawaiian exchange is always going, already going swimmingly. Just send over some of the sun, Jeff. We'll we'll call it even at that. We'll be great. It, um, it, but it, no, a, a more serious question. Um, we've got obviously Graham Gano on the show later on. He's been a very successful kicker in the league. Uh, you obviously have been such a you know a stalwart of the coaching position, especially on special teams. And we're as close to the salad days of the NFL season it can be. But there was a bit of important news like a week or so ago on the Pat McAfee show, Adam Vinatieri, the uh, NFL leading point scorer, yeah. announcing his retirement. Obviously, I'd like to think as a Pats fan and many Colts fans will think this as well, he's destined to go into the Hall of Fame. Um, but what made Vinatieri such a great kicker for so many years, Jeff? And what are your thoughts, obviously, on his retirement now? Well, obviously, it's it's sad on a couple fronts mark for me personally because adam was the last of the nfl europe guys hanging on you know he had kicked in nfl europe and uh was very successful and that really was what catapulted and started his career and uh you know had there not been an nfl europe maybe there wouldn't have been a you know a venetary and you know i i agree with you mark i think he's a hall of famer i think he's a you know I know it's tough on kickers, right? It's hard to get kickers in. It's, you know, Steve Tasker, the greatest special teams player of all time, has been nominated about six times and isn't in, which is a travesty to me. But if Adam Vinatieri is not a Hall of Famer, then, then you know, I, I'm, I don't have any more use for the Hall because you look at what he done, has done. Not only the longevity, uh, because that's, that's an incredible accomplishment in itself, but let's talk about winning kicks, big kicks you know, money kicks, the ones that you have to make in your career, you know, would the Buffalo Bills history be any different if they had had Adam Vinatieri on those four Super Bowl teams? Well, I guarantee it would have because they would have had Super Bowls hanging in their, you know, trophy case in Buffalo. And that to me is the mark of a kicker. Can you make the big kick? And he did it over and over and over again. So again, I, to me, it's it's a sad end because we're you know we're going to miss his competitiveness, his professionalism, his you know outstanding outstanding talent. Obviously, uh, Pat McAfee announcing that uh, the whole vegetarian news on his on his show on the internet, a bit like Jeff and his coffee with coach show which you can get once a week as well on Jeff's Twitter account. Jeff, we're going to try and blatantly do 
one more quick round of questions. The last time you were on here, we were talking about the London Games and about the international expansion. And I know you were talking previously about how, you know, it, you almost feel quite protective, you know, about, about London having four games and stuff. It looks like they could still have four games, like the two guaranteed, two other games, which could be good for, for games itself. But now this week we're seeing about the games in Germany. Uh, I mean, me, you, the boys, Allianz Stadium, that's good. Jeff, Jeff, yes. I think it's fantastic because the more we can get the Irish NFL show on the road, the better <laughs> it is because, I, you know, I'm hopeful to be over in London for the, for the London games. And I, and I know you guys are going to be in town and certainly we'd love to do a show together with you guys. And what better place than some beer hall in Germany to, to get the, put the crew on the road, and go to Germany for one. So I'm excited about it as long as, with the caveat, again, that it doesn't cost London any games. But from what I understand of it, these are games that are, will be independent, standalone games. And that the NFL is now sourcing cities that want to have a game in their, you know, in their community. So, for example, you know, whether you're Frankfurt or Cologne or, you know, Berlin or Hamburg, all cities in Germany that have had, you know, NFL Europe, at least NFL Europe experiences. I think it's a great, great opportunity for the game to continue to grow on the continent. Jeff, I suppose you were last on with us just after the, the draft. And at that point, the Falcons had taken the, the unicorn of the draft uh, in, in Kyle Pitts. And it looked like, you know, Matt Ryan was staying. That offense looked like it was going to be so explosive. But we've obviously seen Julio wants out. If, with, with Julio all set to basically pack his bags over the next few weeks, it looks like. Do you think the Kyle Pitts pick was was the right one? If if they, I mean, by by all accounts, they maybe knew Julio wanted out anyway. Does it make sense to take a player like that if if you're losing your WR one? I think so, because I think Kyle Pitts is just such a generational talent. When you have, you know, there are two philosophies, Colin, when you, when you approach the draft. One is you're going to take the best player available. Number two, you're, you're in a draft to need. Well, obviously, if they knew, and I'm, I think they were, you know, the conversations had at least started that Julio wanted out. So they were aware of it. And, and that there were a number of fantastic wide receivers on the board when Pitts was there. But I just really feel for, for Fontenot, he, he couldn't turn his back on that talent, on that generational talent. And let's be honest, the, the tight end is an, is an ever-evolving position in the National Football League. Gone are the days of, you know, John Mackey and Mike Ditka and, you know, Mark Bavaro and those tight ends. Now we're into Travis Kelsey and, and you know, guys that can do so much for you in the passing game. You know, George Kittle is, I guess, a little bit of a throwback because he's such a good inline player. But I, I just really think that a guy with, with Pitts's unique skill set, and you called him a unicorn, and I think that's a really fair example because, you know, you don't see those things very often. And he certainly is a, a rare, rare talent. And, and Atlanta has to feel fantastic that they got him. Jeff, I read a local article here during the week where a journalist said last year it was unusual to watch sport in empty stadiums. 
now he finds it weird watching sports again with fans in the stadium because it's gone so long. This season when the NFL starts, you know, there's teams obviously obviously have a big home factor, but I think fans will be appreciative of the fact that they're back at games, back in home stadiums, that they wouldn't have really never thought this, this pandemic would ever happen. And it'll be a huge, a huge difference for home teams going forward next season. And the away teams will struggle initially at the start of the season. No question. You know, we had Maurice Kelly, who's the vice president of Seattle Seahawks on coffee with the coach last week, Brian. And one of the, one of our, uh, members of the tribe sent in that very question. Now that the, the, you know, that it's been a year with no fans in the stands, do, the question was basically, do you think that the 12s will be even louder than they were last year? And Maurice kind of chuckled and he said, yeah, because they've had a whole year to, to rest their, their voice box. But um, the reality of it is when you're in Seattle and, and he, and he's, he admitted this, he said, you see things go on in the game and that stadium that don't go on in other stadiums because the noise is just so incredible. I don't know if you guys know this, but more than one time, the University of Washington is about maybe 10 miles from that stadium. And the University of Washington uh, geology department has a seismograph that measures, uh, uh, on the Richter scale measures earthquakes. And when the, when the 12s are really going, they actually register on the Richter scale as an earthquake. That's how loud that building is. And so he talked about the 11 false starts that the Giants had in one game, 11 false starts in one game. And he talked about how the Packers just completely fell apart. They had the game won and completely fell apart underneath that just shower of noise that is you know playing in Seattle so for teams like that for the Saints for you know for the Bears for you know all of those places Cleveland where the fans are such a big part of the game I think this is going to be huge 30 of 32 teams have already gotten approval to have fans in the stands again yeah, I mean, uh, Kansas City, I'd throw in there with Arrowhead as well, Jeff. And, and Absolutely. Back in Seattle, it was 2010, the, the, the infamous Beast Quake, of course, was the first occasion they'd appeared on the seismologist charts. So, um, you know, with, with that in mind, Jeff, and we're getting, you know, we're moving gears now, like 2021, you know, Brady lifting the Super Bowl, that's in the rearview mirror. Training camps are about to ramp up. We're getting ready for the 21 season, as are all the teams. And one thing is that obviously June the 1st is a big date in the NFL calendar from contractual purposes and post-June 1st cuts. But, you know, we're a few days on now. We haven't seen mass exoduses and mass decisions. Is this kind of a related part of the cap and people having to get their cap in order and therefore there's not as many post-June 1st designated cuts? Or are you just expecting, you know, they're just enjoying it was Memorial Day weekend last weekend. They're just taking it easy for a bit. Next week is going to go crazy again. Uh, no, I, I'm going to tell you something. Nobody, Mark, right now, everybody is so fixated on getting ready to the, for the season. But what you did hit on was something I think that's really true. We're in kind of uncharted territory with the cap because of the one year shrinkage of the cap. And so what people are trying to do is figure out how they can manage salaries going forward because we know the cap's going to grow. But how can you downsize for one year and then 
expand back. That's why you've seen so many players renegotiate contracts or redo their contracts because they give the team some salary cap relief and then make it back up when the cap picks up again down the road. So that's part of it. And here's the other thing, you know, we talked about Julio Jones a little bit and there was a lot of speculation that it was going to take a first round draft choice to get Julio Jones out of Atlanta. Well, let me tell you something. How many days after June 1st are we now? And he still hasn't gone anywhere. And that tells me that two things, that the Falcons are sitting really tight on the money, right? They want whoever gets Julio to offset the money that they owe him against their cap. And because they're going to get some cap relief because it's post June 1. And I think the truth of the matter is nobody's offered a first round pick at least not at this point. Cause I think if the Falcons got a first round pick and some relief salary relief, he'd be out of there right now. And because they, they want to move on. I mean, it, they don't, the longer it lingers, you know, the, the tougher it gets, it can get acrimonious, you know, after you, you stay, it's like a divorce. Sometimes, man, you just got to move on. Um, I, Jeff, on a side note, and an Atlanta fan said to me, a friend of mine the other week, he said, there's no way Julio go less from the first. There's no way and everything. And I reminded him that Randy Moss, of course, went for a fourth rounder and then subsequently for a third rounder back to the Vikings. And his face was, I mean, it was, it was, it was quite funny, but it was devastating for him. He suddenly realized, oh, I might be deluded here. Well, you're right. I mean, the reality of it is, Mark, it's a it's a soft receivers market in free agency. Right. And so if it was soft in free agency, it's soft at the trade deadline, too. You know, so, again, um, they're going to get. As much as they possibly can for Julio and there is interest in Julio, but, you know, they're dealing with some tough trade partners, too. And, you know, that's the the give and take of the game. And, and you know, I, I just really think that. The, for Atlanta, it, certainly, and for Julio himself, the sooner he can move on and go go to another team and get involved in the offseason program, and you know, the, the better it is going to be for everybody. Time will tell, and we will see what happens with Julio, with, with Aaron, et cetera, et cetera. But Jeff, uh, you have your own show as well. I, I guess for, for just, just before we go, for, for anybody that hasn't watched your show before on, 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 on Twitter, on YouTube, do, do you want to just tell us just a bit about it? Yeah, I mean, it's you and I get together and and we talk a little NFL and and uh, we have amazing guests. I mean, we've been so fortunate to have so many guys. We've got we have NFL players. We've got NFL execs. We've got members of the media. We've had all kinds of people this next week. um, One of the best quarterback coaches I've ever been around and certainly one of the you know, you look at his track record uh, has coached two Hall of Famers, played in the NFL himself, was a head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, a head coach of the San Diego Chargers. June Jones is going to come on and we're going to talk quarterbacks because we're going to go through, you know, how you select them, what you look for in them. Uh, we're going to go, he's going to tell a fascinating story of when the San Diego Chargers, when he was the offensive coordinator of the Chargers and they had to make a decision between Manning and Ryan Leaf, And they brought in a brain specialist to, evaluate the two players and i'm not going to say what he said until you listen to the show so it's coffee with the coach and you can get it either on twitter on youtube on apple itunes where else michael 
Spotify, all good podcast providers. So the show goes out toward it's, it's a different day than minute each week. Usually on Tuesday during the season, the audio goes out around the weekend to search coffee with coach on podcast form. You get a you get a mixture of the the cerebral and uh, and you get the crack with uh, with Jeff as well. Uh, Jeff, you all you always bring the crack in fairness, and uh, we want to thank you again for being so generous with your time. Uh, we appreciate it. We look forward to uh, getting you back on again as we uh, kind of move throughout the, the the summer and into to August and preseason. But uh, we'll let you go and enjoy that beautiful summer day that uh, we see behind you. So thanks again for uh, being so generous with your time. Hey, it's my pleasure, fellas. I love this. I love this island to island football exchange we're having. Okay, folks, our next guest in this week's edition of the Irish NFL Show is none other than New York Giant, Graham Gano. Graham, welcome to the Irish NFL Show. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me. Graham, we usually ask our first question in regards to like Irish heritage, but I know you have uh, Scottish heritage. That's right. Yep. I'm, uh, my mom's from Scotland, and I used to have a thick Scottish accent, but my wife probably still wishes I did, but I don't have it anymore. Ah. Well, uh, maybe you can uh, top up at uh, at some point uh, the the next time you're you're over, Graham. But um, look, you you're a well established kicker um, in the in the league at this point, and I know we're going to delve into that in a little bit. But can can you take us back? Like, how did you you start off uh, kicking, and uh, what what was it that that led uh, led you down that path? Um, actually, never wanted to be a football player, um, American football player growing up because I thought wearing the tight pants was a bit weird. Um, so that was literally the only reason I didn't want to do it. Um, I was a soccer player and my, my dream is to play for the Scottish national team. Um, having been born there, uh, we lived there, I think for three years when I was born, then we moved to Canada, then back to Scotland and then Germany and then finally the US. Um, so played soccer all those years. And then when we moved to the US uh, in Pensacola, I went out for summer school for um, soccer and I, I realized they didn't have it. All they had it was for, um, for the women's team. And so I told my mom and dad, I said, hey, I don't mind playing with them. You know, that's, that'll be fine. And the coaches said, no, that's not all right. And uh, one of my buddies um, asked if I'd be the kicker for the football team. So I'd never kicked a football before, but uh, gave it a shot. And I was hitting 40, 45 yarders at that point. I mean, taking 15, 20 steps back, but um, I was a goalkeeper, so that paid off in the end. And that's kind of how it got started. I just, you know, just started kicking then. Graham, was, you, you had your time in Baltimore and Washington. I suppose most NFL fans would recognize you predominantly from your eight years in Carolina. Can you just ask about that experience playing for Coach Rivera? And um, you broke some records there over the years. Broke my heart with a 63 yeah. yard field goal. Um, against the Giants, thankfully you're with the Giants now, but your overall experience in those eight years there? Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Um, I try not to talk about that 63-yarder much anymore now that I'm a Giant. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was very memorable um, for me. Uh, I actually had a chance at that 63-yard same hash to win the game against Atlanta years earlier, and it got tipped at the line of scrimmage. And I knew for a fact it was going in. Like the, the line on it, even the... Uh, Thomas Morstead from the Saints texted me and, and said, that was going in. Like, we see the angle. And I was like, yeah, no. But so when that came up, you know, I, I was just excited for the opportunity. Um, Coach Rivera is fantastic. Uh, I know he's playing for our rival now. Um, I actually texted him last night, texting the enemy. But, um, you know, he's a great man. Uh, my wife played softball at Florida State, and his daughter played at UCLA. So they're 
playing in the World Series right now. Uh, they got the best of us last night, but we were just going back and forth about that. Um, but yeah, he's a great man, um, incredible uh, coach, you know, very good players coach. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed my time there in Carolina with him. Graham, we previously had on our show a young Irish guy, a guy called Tig Leader, who's trying to make it in the US as a kicker. And he commented actually on the level of detail involved, really, in the operation of kicking field goals. And I'm kind of intrigued by this because he was talking about the specificity and the professionalism that he didn't necessarily expect coming from more European-based sports. And look, you've, I mean, we mentioned the 63-yarder, but I'm thinking in your career, you know, you had uh, like franchise record in Washington and multiple overtime winning kicks, longest field goal in playoff history with the Panthers. You had three for the Giants the other year uh, against Dallas over 50. So you, you're used to these long and really critical kicks. I mean, could you tell us a bit about, I mean, the technical, the craft, the nuance, the detail in those types yeah, of um, situations? When I first got into it, I definitely didn't realize all the detail and stuff. Uh, I mean, shoot, starting out, I'd spray kicks left and right. I could kick it a mile, but if it wasn't straight, you know, it didn't matter. And um, just over the years, you know, when I first got into the NFL, as I kicked one year in college uh, with field goals and extra points. Um, so as I, as I started out, I didn't really understand the, uh, the fine details, you know, the little things like, you know, if you're kicking into a wind, you lean the ball forward to cut into it. Um, if it's a right to left wind, you lean it to the right. And there's so many little things, you know, if the laces are facing back, if the laces are left there, you just strike the ball a different way and have a different follow through. And uh, every kick has to be, you know, 1.3, 1.25 seconds or else it's blocked. And so all those little things um, you just pick up over time and and uh, so, yeah, over the years, I've learned that uh, Riley Dixon, my holder now, he's unbelievable. And uh, Casey, my snapper, the detail and, and uh, the, the effort and everything they put into their work makes my job so much easier. So we, we were uh, like an example of that. We played Seattle last year and we were kicking towards their open end that the two corners are open and the wind, I think, was going from right to left. And so I looked at Riley and I said, hey, I want this kind of hold. And in the middle of my steps back, it completely shifts the other direction. And so I look at him as I'm taking my steps back. I say, hey, did you feel that? And he's like, yeah. And I mean, we don't have much time. The play clock's running down. And uh, he goes, I got you. I'll, I'll change it. And then, I mean, it was that quick. And he changed the hold and we hit it right down the middle. And I mean, if he hadn't, that that kick probably would have sailed wide. I mean, it's just little fine details. And, and um, I mean, exactly where you strike the ball, if you plant just a little bit too far forward, a little too far back, it misses. So there's a lot that goes into it and uh, a lot of trust in those guys, a lot of faith in my uh, line in front of me. And um, yeah, I mean, I enjoy it. You know, you, you work on it so much and it just becomes uh, just something you really love to do. Obviously looking forward to seeing what happens over the next season as well. Graham, uh, you're one yard shy of Matt Prater's 64-yard record. Is that a personal goal for yourself over the next few years? Yeah, 100%. Um, I remember I was sitting in the locker room in New Orleans. We were playing at New Orleans, and I got I, I think we came in for halftime, and uh, Brad Norman was my holder then for Carolina. He said, Prater just hit a 64-yarder, and I remember being like, no. I mean, I was happy for him because he's a great guy. But at the same time, I was like, I wanted to break that record. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those opportunities don't come up very often. You know, I've had uh, two chances at, at, I think, 63 yarders. And, um, yeah, it doesn't happen very often. I know Joey Sly had a chance or a few chances last year, but um, I definitely would love that opportunity. And uh, kicking in New York, New York, it'd probably have to be a little earlier in the year. Um, 
unless I, I get a real boost of strength in my leg uh, in November, December. But uh, yeah, that's definitely uh, one of my one of my goals. Graham, I suppose one of the things uh, that's changed this offseason is the number structure. And uh, we've already seen uh, Sterling Shepard move to the number three. And I know from uh, from your uh, social media that there's uh, at least one member of the Giants roster who's, uh, you know, feels that your number five jersey is a hot commodity. But um, that number five is your number, right? That's right. Yeah, I wear it actually because we have uh, my wife and I have five kids. So. Um, you know, I was nine in Carolina for the longest time. I actually wore number nine because of my wife. That was her number in, um, in college and all through growing up playing softball. And so when I came to the Giants and Riley had nine and he wasn't giving that up, uh, I looked and five, you know, it had some meaning behind it for us. So um, I stuck to it. We've had some discussions, uh, Pep and I, but it's not going to happen. We, uh, he was wondering what a number goes for. And, and I told him and he said, no, that's not happening. I'll, I'll just keep 21. So I'm not, I'm not going to say what that number was, but, but uh, it was a bit too high for him. Uh, Greg, can I just ask you about Dave Gettleman? As a Giants fan, I think quite pleased what he's done over the years, but like any general, general manager, there's obviously narrative around decisions they make. In Carolina, there was the Steve Smith, Josh Norman. He's traded Beckham. You know, he's made tough decisions over the past few years, and you've been fortunate to, to work with him both in Carolina and now the Giants. Just behind the scenes, what kind of guys you'd like to be around with the players and stuff? I think he's great. Uh, personally, I mean, I, I love the time that I spent with him in Carolina. Um, you know, I, I think he's a great guy. He's a straight shooter. You know, he'll tell you tell you the truth, whether you want to hear it or not. And um, I feel like you get a lot of that in uh, in New York, um, especially with Coach Judge. And, you know, sometimes people don't want to hear the truth, but um, I've always respected that. You know, if somebody's going to tell you one thing, uh, I'd rather hear the truth and, and, and just be able to take it. You know, if I miss a kick, I, I expect to be yelled at. So, you know, stuff like that. But um, I've always uh, appreciated Mr. Gettleman, and I think he's done a fantastic job. I mean, what what he was able to create in Carolina with that roster and uh, the amount of success that we had when, you know, he took over was was pretty incredible. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, I think, mm -hmm. I think th things take time. Um, you know, he uh, – I think like anybody, you know, if you're not winning games, there's always going to be um, – the uh, people criticizing you, but you know, at the end of the day, it's it's uh, what happens in the building that matters, and and I think he's he's building something pretty special on our team. Can I just ask you quickly about uh, Coach Judge? Because I suppose when he got the job last year, a lot of Giants fans really didn't know about his background too much. But I think from day one, it's very clear what you see is what you get. He tells it as he sees it. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, you, you uh, hit the nail on the head there. He. Um, I think we all love him. Every all the players love him. Uh, he's he's hard nosed. I mean, it's he's tough, but I mean, you have to respect that. And he's he's making us a really good football team. Everybody believes in him, and and um, you know, I think that's what New York needs. That we need that type of coach. And and uh, you know, I've been playing for a while now. But I've seen a lot of head coaches, uh, and you know, I think he's he's going to do a fantastic job. He was definitely a very good special teams coach in, in New England. You didn't want to go up against his special teams units. So uh, I think he brings a brings a fire to our team um, that's definitely going to uh, – we're de definitely going to benefit from. Um, Graham, just what you were saying on earlier, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to imagine that number five goes for about five kids' college education or something <laughs> like that. That's a, that's a good way of calculating now. Uh, and also, you, you want to beat, uh, obviously, the 64-yarder. I always think, you know, as a kicker, are you looking at places like, when are we playing Mexico City? Like, can we play that away game there? Or 
even down in Colorado against the Broncos. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. Shoot, when we played, uh, we played in Denver. Actually, I, I practiced in Denver, and the ball was flying. You know, I've had people say it doesn't matter, but I was nailing some long kicks, and I actually lined one up from seventy-five and made it there. And uh, this was when I was playing for Washington, but um, actually they had just released me and I was practicing up there with a buddy of mine, but, um, but yeah, the ball really flies up there. So you hope for that. Shoot. I had a, uh, we played them in 2016 and another one of my goals was to hit a touchback from the 20, if there was a penalty and that happened in Denver. And I was like, okay, if, if I swing as hard as I can, I have to hit the ball right here. I've got a shot at it. I'm either going to, miss it completely and shank the kick or I'm going to, you know, hit it way high. And I hit it perfectly. It, it went from the 28 yards deep in the end zone. And, and uh, that was pretty exciting, but yeah, the ball flies there. So you definitely look to see where you're playing. And when you see the teams come out, you look to see, okay, are we away? Are we home? You know, what, what's all that about? But um, our stadium gets pretty windy. So if uh, you know, if, if I get a uh, favorable conditions, I, I definitely think I have a shot, but. At the end of the day, you know, whatever kick they send me out there for, I, I just want to make. So that's uh, my main goal. Absolutely. And Graham, I, forgive me if I'm wrong. I think you were injured the year that Carolina came over to London to play Tampa Bay. Yeah. I'm not sure if you've, uh, have you played in London at all uh, in your career? To Is that a goal? Because I know, like, I mean, I think it would give Brian a mini heart attack if the Giants came to London. But yeah. uh, even like, I mean, even just personally, a game in Scotland would be nice. But we've seen this week as well the news coming out that Germany might get a game. I'm sure you'd love to play oh, yeah. internationally before you finish up your career. That would be great. Yeah, I've uh, let's see. I think I've missed it twice. Or no, I know Carolina. I think um, I missed it in New York. Did they have they played there yet or no? Um, I'm not. Played there. Played in Twickenham about three or four years ago. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I missed that obviously, but. Um, yeah, that'd be incredible. Uh, I still have family in Scotland, so it'd be neat to be able to see them again. Um, and I think it'd be really cool. I mean, the historic significance of playing in some of those stadiums. I think, uh, was it Tottenham has built the new one, right? But um, yeah, it'd be pretty cool. It'd be a, a neat atmosphere. I feel like the kicking game is a little more appreciated with the fans over there. Um, from what I've heard, you know, you hit a field goal, hit an extra point, and everybody goes nuts. So uh, I think that'd be pretty cool. Graham, um, I suppose one of the things that's been interesting over the last few years, we've seen Von Miller develop this pass rush summit, and this year now there's tight end university. So I'm wondering, do you think at some point in the future we might see a kicker's camp where the kickers get together and kind of exchange tips, or are, are you guys a law unto yourselves? Yeah, we. Uh, it's funny. It's kind of like a fraternity. You know, there's not many of us that do it. Um, and everybody kind of knows each other. There's guys that I, you know, I haven't even met in person that I've exchanged uh, text messages with. And, and uh, John Carney, you know, he kicked for the Giants, uh, I think for a year or two. He, um, I went to work with him years ago because my wife was from San Diego and that's where he lives and trains. So I would go there and, and work with him and he'd have a lot of guys come in for, he calls it the launching pad. So um, I did that with him a little bit, was able to kick with some guys and now with all these kids, uh, I kind of have to stay home. But um, like last week, I was kicking with uh, Clemson University's kicker. And you kind of have guys come and go. There's a lot of guys that live in Charlotte. So uh, I get to work with them a bit. But uh, maybe I'll have to think on that. I have to see if I can set something up uh, over here on the East Coast. Graham, as it happens, the Irish kicker in which Colin mentioned earlier that's in the spring league um, is actually being coached by John Curry. Oh, no as way. It, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, John's, John's great. I, yeah. I love training there. That's uh, Steve Weatherford and, and him are great friends. And 
And yeah. Uh, yeah, I used to work out with Steve as well. So um, it's, it's cool learning from guys like that. You know, I'll send film to some guys, they'll send it to me, kind of dissect it a little bit and learn more about it. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, Steve's uh, social, media, social media page is quite entertaining. Yeah, I mean, we're built the same, you know, so I, that's, we got a lot in common. <laughs> can, 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 I, can I just ask you around, I know obviously the result didn't go your way, but the experience of playing in the Super Bowl, and obviously the build-up that comes with, you know, obviously being in the Super Bowl and playing in that new stage with Santa Clara at the time, that yep. whole experience leading up to the game. Um, well, I mean, one of you, I think it was you mentioned Vaughn Miller, that I felt like I got stabbed in the chest again hearing his name. Um, but let's see, he's took two games from me. There's been that, the Super Bowl and the Pro Bowl, both of them. He won, and I, I did not appreciate that, obviously. But um, it was it's pretty incredible experience. You know, I wish, I wish we had, uh, there's a lot of things I wish we would have known going into the game, you know, just preparation wise, but it's pretty amazing being able to kick off in that game uh, to open the game was, was pretty cool. You always imagine the, the, you know, the flash bulbs going off around you, but it actually, it was daytime. So I didn't get to see any of that. And the, uh, the football you kick off is a brand new football right out of the box because they take it as soon as you kick it off, they take it out of the game. And um, a lot of people don't know those things are like hard as rocks when they're brand new. And, and uh, we actually have a guy that gets like 30 minutes to break it in, but that, so kicking that ball off is tough. And, uh, it was neat playing in that stadium. Um, it's tough, obviously, losing that game, but I mean, it, it lights a fire in you. You want to get back and, and play in it again. And I, I really hope I get that opportunity again. You know, it's it's something I, I definitely, I mean, everyone's career goal to win that game, but um, I'm hoping I play for a long time and get to win a lot of them. Um, Graham, talking about uh, the, the big game, effectively, um, Adam Vinatieri obviously played in a few of them, uh, and he just retired, will likely go into Hall of Fame one day, and obviously that's a, an area that severely depleted the representatives in the kicking game. Um, but I, I don't want to ask you about the, NF, uh, the Hall of Fame per se, but there was something I saw that was a really nerdy thing for me. Belichick was uh, talking about Vinatieri last week, and of course he mentioned the snow game kick, um, so it was probably one of the greatest kicks of all time. But he actually called out another kick, which was the Super Bowl win against the Panthers. And Belichick, obviously, originally a special teams coach, focuses very much in the highly in that area, um, said because of the quality of the kick rush unit and because they blocked a 36-yarder early in the game, mm-hmm. his skill to get it up and, you know, get it at the right angle for that was probably not appreciated by many people out who don't know the game as well. Yeah. Perhaps. And, you know, I mean, is that preying on your mind as a kicker? Like, this kick rush is good, this kick rush is bad, you know, especially the block to kick. How oh, does that feed into the process? For sure. Um, back when uh, when I first got into the NFL, though, a lot of rules have changed since then. It's funny, I'm becoming one of the older guys, getting some grays. Um, but you could middle rush, you know, and you could blow everyone up up the middle. You could run the snapper over. So there was a lot more blocks then because, I mean, they could come straight through. Um and I actually, the, the other day when uh, Adam announced his retirement, I watched his kicks over and over and over again, um, just trying to, you know, watch every little bit and how he hit the ball. And everyone, you know, obviously as in the kicking game loves that guy. He, he made some massive kicks. Um, and I watched that Panthers one in slow motion over and over. And, and I noticed the rush off the edge. If it was just a little bit slower, it would have been blocked. And the guy, I think one of the guys on the, the left gap opened up a little bit. Somebody jumped over. There was all kinds of little things. I noticed that he hit it perfectly. I mean, it was high up in the air. And there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, 
you definitely know, like, when you play a guy like Patrick Peterson coming off the edge, I mean, it's close. You know, I've had, I've had kicks sometimes go underneath guys or, you know, over them as they block or dive. And, and it's, it's pretty nuts, really. Uh, shoot, I played in New York one year with the Panthers, and uh, their edge rush was really good. And they, the guy dove, and I hit him in the back. And the timing was good, too. So I was like, this is amazing. But you definitely think on those things. Um, but it's more something you think of during practice. During the game, you kind of just go out there and, and play. But, um, yeah, talking about Adam's kick in that game, that was that was definitely impressive. Yeah, with, with a brand-new long snapper, if I remember correctly, as well. It was long snapper just come in for the Super Bowl, so a new unit That's, and everything, which I, I know I didn't realize plays that. more timing for you guys as well. I know, his, uh, I know the holder in that game uh, was released by Carolina in I think in the preseason or something so that was um that was a little special for him uh to beat them but yeah obviously playing there for a while that was tough to hear about that from the fans down there in Carolina but um you know I'm excited uh New York's won a bunch of them so hopefully we can add to that Graham it's it's been a pleasure chatting to you and just obviously we'd like to thank you for your time first of all there's a couple of Broncos fans here so we wish you well in the yeah. season apart from week one uh it's, it's definitely a good game to start off. But look, uh, you, you're welcome at any time and thanks a million for your time, Graham. Thank you. Yeah, we'll have to do it again. Maybe with everyone except for the Broncos fans. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Graham. <laughs>